Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today, not just because of the tenacity and spirit of our guest, who is Casey mm. Rodemore, the creator of Ordinal Theory, but also because we have another colleague at The Block co-hosting with me, and that's the cope master himself, Tim Copeland. We'll get him to seethe soon. He will. He, I mean, he's always, he's in a state of gigacope, if you will. That's sort of his essence. And we're going to be talking about how ordinals have brought NFTs to the Bitcoin blockchain. It's something that we actually not too long ago talked about with one Meltem Demures on the podcast. And also how this has resulted in some sort of an unexpected surge of interest in crypto's oldest chain. But before we dive in, let's thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com slash scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon 2. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high-integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. So Casey, yes, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. My pleasure. You know, I'm, I'm just happy that you're doing okay, given that you're recording out of what what looks like a 1960s era hospital. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's it's a mess in here. You saw me eat that banana. I mean, it's 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 out, and I've got my flip cup. Like, uh... <laughs> sorry, please, Frank, continue. <laughs> I know we're on a schedule here. We're not. We have we have we have plenty of time. Plenty okay, of time. okay. So, in layman's terms, uh. explain ordinals. Ordinals are a numbering system for Satoshis. And they are sort of like an accounting scheme, but also a fantasy. Uh, Some have likened them to a lens or a monocle that you pop over your eye. And when you do, 
the data that was previously in the Bitcoin blockchain changes and these creatures pop into sharp relief like Pokemon in the tall grass. And these creatures are individual sats that otherwise exist as a sort of undifferentiated goo. And they, you can't tell where they are. You know, they're higgledy-piggledy, one might say. They're here and there. But then when you view them through the lens of ordinal theory, they pop into sharp relief like Pokemon in the tall grass. Mm. Tim. Yeah, so my question was, what links a Satoshi and the NFT? Ah, good question. Um, it is data in a Bitcoin. So let me, so yeah, the, the important thing is to understand the two layers. The first layer that I was sort of touching on is the ordinals. And the second layer is the inscriptions. And the ordinal, ordinal theory creates these, creates or discovers these trackable Satoshis. And the inscriptions is what links, and I don't use the word NFT, I use the word digital artifact. The inscription is what links the digital artifact or the digital art object to the Satoshi that can be tracked through the lens of, of ordinal theory. Okay, so it, is it just that, say, you create a block, you put the digital artifact into that block, and then is it that, say, like the first Satoshi in that block is then associated with that? No, no, artifact? no. It's, it's um, so you, you use ordinal theory, and then that gets you in each Bitcoin transaction. Bitcoin transactions have inputs, a fixed list of inputs and a fixed list of outputs. And you will, how do I put this? Normally the inputs and the outputs are just like buckets of sats that are undifferentiated. But when you view it through the lens of ordinal theory and apologies for the flowery poetic overdone language, they, um, instead of being like these buckets of goo, they're like these orderly stacks of poker chips. And you can map them from the inputs to the outputs. And so normally you're just slopping these buckets around. But then when you view it through the lens of ordinal theory, they actually shuffle neatly from the inputs to the outputs of the transaction. And so that gives you these trackable sats. And then inscriptions are done by including the content for the digital art object in the transaction in what's called the witness. And that data, you can think of it as a file or a page that you would view on the web. That content becomes attached to the first sat of the first output of the transaction. So you're a former Bitcoin core developer. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I don't like that label because people often associate a lot of kind of highfalutin things with it. But yeah, I've made um, six, 16 commits back years ago. You can actually, if you go to GitHub, really, like you can go to GitHub, you can sort by contributors, and then you can sort by number of commits. And then um, I'm a minor old contributor like a while ago, you know? Well, what do you make of sort of the the, the tension that, your recent contributions have resulted in? 
I, um, how do I put this? Um, people grow attached to things and they then believe that they're for something and not for another thing. And they, um, the why the world is binary as it were. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, indeed. But it's not, it's shades of gray. And, um, sometimes it's 50 shades of gray. Let me show you my wardrobe. It's like tech bro. So not far off. So, um, yeah, like people get attached to something and they get emotionally attached to something and they think that it's for one thing and not for another, or sometimes they get intellectually attached and they think that it's for one thing and not for another. And then when somebody, something comes along that, um, challenges that perception, it's, it can be uncomfortable for them. So what's the big challenge here? Like for someone who's never heard of the project, who has never heard of maybe even, you know, NFTs, like what, Mm. what is the core challenge that you and what you're doing presents to the way in which some more rigid people view the Bitcoin network? Mm. Mm. Very good question. Um, it's that people didn't think that it was for that. And often they probably thought that, you know, Bitcoin did not do NFTs and NFTs started very small. Oftentimes they started very silly or what Bitcoiners might perceive as being frivolous, but they grew in interest and importance until um, Bitcoiners, I think many things happened. Some of them went to other chains. They, they wanted fun and they just left. And others developed a sour grapes attitude where they said, okay, well, you know, that's not something we want to do anyways. And so having a something come along and sort of challenge that um, is, I think, uh, intellectually, personally, whatever, uncomfortable for many people. And it's it's adapting to that, um, dare I say, new reality that is how do I put this is just, it is the reality now. And, uh, I don't think that reality is going to change. I think that, um, Bitcoiners who have taken a sour grapes attitude towards, towards NFTs believe that this is a flash in the pan in some way. But if you look at the history of human culture and technology, money and art are both equally old it's hard to say which one came first, but equally old and equally intertwined. And so it's not going to change anytime soon. And I'm just a dude, you know, I just made this thing and you kind of can't stop me. Um, but not, it's, you can stop me, but you can't stop. Um, it's all open source. It's very decentralized. It's actually decentralized, not a name alone and not an, in some un, uncertain time in the future. So um, there's no way that they can stop it. And they're figuring that out. And uh, it's very uncomfortable for them. Yeah. But what, what exactly like at its core is uncomfortable? Oh, this challenge, this, like this, 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 I thought this thing was for one thing and not for another, this, intellectual both intellectually and emotionally i think i i mean i don't know and then and then other others like it others really like it i mean one thing is that i think the twitter drama is very overblown because i am a bitcoin meetup fanatic um i've been blathering about this to anybody who would listen 
at every single meetup I've been to over the last year. And um, they, uh, Bitcoiners in person, tend to respond very positively to it. And they, um, you know, they, 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 they like it or they don't care. Does it sort of make you harken back to the uh, block size wars of a few years ago? Yeah, in, it's, it's different. I'm not a big blocker. And I think that's something that people have uh, mistakenly assumed. I would not advocate for larger blocks, even if it was, um, I don't know, in some way good for my own financial self-interest, which I actually don't believe it is due to the smaller blocks creating scarcity. So, um, yeah, I think it, it harkens back um, in theory. There's a lot of PTSD over the block size wars. Tim, what do you think? Um, I mean, what I thought was quite interesting about this was what actually enabled ordinals. Because mm. most people originally thought it was taproot. Oh, sorry. Just to be really pedantic about language, which is something I have found that I need to do. Um, I think you mean inscriptions, which are the digital art objects. Sorry, I thought the project was called ordinals. Yeah, the project is called ordinals, but ordinal theory is the level of trackable sats. And inscriptions are the inscribed art objects on the trackable sats. Satoshis, the smallest subunit of Bitcoin, of which there are 100 million per Bitcoin, are uninscribed when they come into the world and uh, can be inscribed with content. They're like um, unstamped metal rounds that can be pressed into a coin, but aren't yet. Sure, but but we can refer to ordinals as like as to the project in general, right? Sure, but you're saying what enabled ordinals, and there's two different layers to it, and people get very confused just practically. I've noticed this on Twitter. So I think what you mean is what enabled inscriptions. Yeah. So initially, there was a blog post put out, and everyone very much believed it was Taproot. Um, I spoke to uh, a core Bitcoin developer, and they said it was actually. Uh, mostly enabled by SegWit, and then Taproot only really kind of just made it a little bit more kind of convenient to do, but didn't actually make it that much cheaper. Um, but I, I find it interesting that the kind of Taproot meme kind of picked up, and you have like Taproot wizards, and very much everyone's kind of gone along with that just because it was so like widespread at the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, did, did you look into that, and and like, what's your view on what really enabled this to be so cheap? Nothing. You could have done it on day one. So you don't think SegWit or Taproot made a difference? They helped, but you could have done it on day one. And it would have been, uh, you could have actually done, I think, four gigs, maybe, per inscription on day one. That was a kind of a hole that was patched up very quickly. When you say day one, is in like the birth of the blockchain? Yeah, the very first client that Satoshi uh, released, you could have done ordinals completely unmodified. And inscriptions, you would have had to have a different implementation. It would have been a worse implementation, but um, yeah, day one, no problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you could have done four gigs per, God, per block, per transaction. Uh, the limits were very loose back then. But surely for like the first few years, it, would, it wasn't the same because SegWit expanded the limits. No, um, initially on day one, you know, uh, Satoshi created this, but it, it, was, it was quite... Um, fresh in his mind at the time, maybe. It was sort of like a work in progress. And so as a result, many of these um, considerations such as blocks can't be too big, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, were not 
really thought about in a very rigorous way until quite a bit later. And so, yeah, you could have done it on day one. The trackable sats that ordinal theory brings into illumination could have been done on day one without any modification to ordinals. And then inscriptions could also have been done on day one with a different um, implementation. Mm. But what what do you think about the take that they they increase fees and maybe undermine the original mission of big capital B Bitcoin? Mm. Mm. Good question, Frank. Um, I would say that these people have a... Are smelly. Nah, no, maybe it's sour grapes. Maybe it's they haven't worked through all the implications yet. I would say that they um, are, how do I put this? Temporarily perturbed and they'll get it. Satoshi was, um, I don't know, a trickster figure, a Loki, you know? a uh, what spider woman from American mythology. And he put a lot of things in the original client. I believe that it actually had a poker game implementation in it. And uh, it also had something called Adams, which was an ins- not a, quite an inspiration for ordinals, but was interesting. And it was this thing that would get assigned. It was like a token that was created one per block and it would get assigned to the person who found the block. But unlike ordinals, they could not move exactly. And so um, the early code base shows the signs of um, a great deal of experimentation and then a great deal of paring down. And so, yeah, if it had gambling and uh, this proto NFT in it, then um, yeah, I I have to call out the work of um, Jeremy Rubin, who has he took an old, old, old version of the code base. I I believe the first version maybe or, or before the first version, because it's it's visible in the, in the development history, and he's been annotating it um, with his findings and comments, and so all these things I know because of Jeremy. Yeah, it's uh, listen, uh, Bitcoin is a free for all. It's Mad Max capitalism at its very best and its very worst. So you got what you get, you know. So who stands to benefit and lose um, from the kind of surge of these nfts okay bono my friend who benefits it's a good question um let's see so i think it's what's called the pareto improvement it leaves everybody better off and nobody worse off aside from some hard feelings here and there Mm. and and what would be the impact on minor revenues um positive more people using the chain means more fees for miners you made a bitcoin improvement proposal Mm. related to yeah. Ordinals. What happens if that isn't uh, adopted? Nothing. Um, BIPs are more akin to a form of documentation where you tell people what's already happened and the Ordinals project has already uh, shattered the glass and the BIP is merely documenting how the pieces have fallen. Were you uh, contacted by Yuga Labs leading up to the announcement of their Bitcoin-based NFT collection? Um, it's not an NFT collection. It's a collection of digital art objects. And, uh, I was very happy to see them bend the knee and will enjoy watching them bend it further. Hmm. What else are you most excited about? Like in Bitcoin broadly? Hmm. Uh, what do you think are some of the tailwinds? Yeah. 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 Tailwinds and headwinds, right? Um, yeah. What are some of the headwinds as well? Yeah. Tailwinds. I don't know all the things that people don't know about. 
people outside of Bitcoin can be, to put it um, nicely, they miss the trees for the forest. And to put it less nicely, they are quite myopic or just uninformed. Um, there are a great many uh, very exciting Bitcoin projects that people don't know about, to name a few. Fedi, which is a socially federated Chaumian e-cash privacy thing, like a bank, but very private, like a Swiss bank for Bitcoin. Mm. And uh, what else? The Lightning Network is fabulous. Um, the hardware devices are getting very interesting. My donation page, to shill for a moment, um, has a list of 21 open dimes, which are small hardware devices to which anything can be sent, Bitcoin and inscriptions alike. What else is there? DLCs bring a form of options trading or gambling to Bitcoin. Um, the DLCs stand for discrete log contracts. Uh, somebody who has an inkling of finance and law will kind of know, have a clue, idea of what that means. The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stable coins can bring faster payments at internet scale, from merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stable coin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch his hand, it's fine. Right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting edge zero knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's state connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare Time Series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. So how do you think this will profit in the long run? What's the long-term vision for ordinals? Who profits? Que bono. Yeah, who? Oh, I don't know. Everybody. Pareto improvement. How so? Well, that like there's artists. Um, artists will profit. Um, the makers of the Sats cards, CoinKite, will profit from selling these things that people want to load up with art. Miners will profit because of the additional fees. 
Um, who else will profit? I'll profit one day. Um, so far, I've been losing money on this whole thing. Um, it costs me money because you have to go to my server. Well, you don't have to go to my server, but many people do. And it costs me money to run that server. Um, so I don't know if I'm in the red because I have gotten some donations, but maybe I'm still in the red. So I'll profit one day. What have been some of your favorite inscriptions or NFT collections on Bitcoin so far? Uh, uh, there was one of the Taiwanese flag. I quite mm. like that. Um, maybe uh, whip uh, mainland Taiwan into shape a little bit. Um, I think that would upset them a bit. So I retweeted that one for sure. I'm a big Taiwan fan. Um, I liked the inscription of Tank Man, the protester in Tiananmen Square that we're all familiar with. Retweeted that one too. Uh, I like the political speech because it entwines Bitcoin with the First Amendment in a deliciously American way. It makes Bitcoin a publishing platform. And publishing platforms are uh, protected by the First Amendment. So those ones are good. I like the personal ones. I consider it highly based to take a photograph of your dog or cat and inscribe it on the time chain. This, these perhaps are the most based inscriptions of all. It's very hard to tell. Uh, I like the silly ones. There was one that was exactly 1,024 bytes, which is known to programmers as a kilobyte or a kibby byte more properly. And um, there was a gold bars that was a kilobyte of gold and it was inscribed many times. I don't know if this was organic or what was going on. I don't know. They, the inscriptions, they come in waves. I don't even look at the website all that frequently, but when you do, um, if you go to ordinals.com, they come in waves like art styles come and go, you know, like they're just like, you get these like themed waves as people figure things out. Um, so I like them a lot. These look like Braille. But no, they're just these balls. These are great. What do you think the source of your worldview is? Uh, making a lot of shitty digital art, maybe. And uh, just liking Bitcoin a lot. And liking Bitcoiners, you know? And liking Bitcoin. There's also that. Uh, we can talk about who benefits and we can also talk about who loses. And I want to burn a lot of the shit coining. I want to burn it to the ground. Why? Uh, I think a lot of it is deeply harmful on net. Um, that it's, uh, ah, innocent people lose their money. These Rube Goldberg machines, you know, like the, um, what was it? The Nomad Bridge hack, I believe, or Optimism. I forget. There are so many losing hundreds of millions of dollars of unsophisticated people's funds. But I mean, you know, Bitcoin had hacks in the early days. Do you not think it's a period of experimentation? Um, I think Bitcoin has matured beyond that point, and there's no reason to use anything else for serious matters. Do you not think these platforms are more convenient? For example, like on Ethereum, you have tokens that represent NFTs, so you don't have to come up with this whole ordinal theory. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I mean, Ethereum is rotten through and through. Why do you think that? Socially, technically, everything. Incentives. I mean, um, Ethereum has sort of things with tokens never die because there's some shit coiner that will keep them alive ad infinitum. But um, 
on Ethereum, you had something called Raiden, which it was inspired by the Lightning Network. And it, because it was on Ethereum and because Ethereum was a pre-mined, insta-mined token, um, Raiden, which was a poor copy of the Lightning Network, had its own token. And Ethereans had no comeback to this. They had no answer to this. Raiden added a token because it's, it's common in that community to add tokens for things that don't need tokens. And Raiden is dead because you don't need a token for that and it degrades the user experience. So uh, I think that it is both a technical and a cultural rot. Okay, but do you think um, ERC-721 tokens are a more efficient and convenient way to achieve what you're achieving with ordinals? No, it is cheaper to publish content using um, an inscription on a per-byte basis than it is to use ERC-721 tokens if you want them on-chain, which most artists and collectors seem to want that. But I mean, c convenience in terms of you have a token standard for a non-fungible token that you can just move from wallet to wallet rather than coming up with a whole ordinal theory to like link every single Satoshi to the inscription that was associated with a particular transaction. What's the alternative that you're proposing? Should I have just sat in my closet and not done anything? No, I'm saying I'm, I'm asking you to compare the two systems. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean... Um... No, ERC-721, fine, yeah, some of the tooling is okay at this point, but it's quite bad, honestly, compared to inscriptions. Um, if you watch the latest episode of the How Many podcast that I do with my co-founder, sort of, I don't know, friend Aaron, she and I have done the latest episode, hellpodcast.money, wherever, wherever fine podcasts are sold, best on YouTube, because that's where the videos are. Um, we did an episode, which was, I think, under an hour, maybe, where we go from a fresh MacBook to making to syncing a Bitcoin core node. And then in episode two, we're going to go, we're planning to go from um, a, a fully sunk node to inscribing. And um, that will try doing that on Ethereum. Nobody runs full nodes. Nobody knows how. An archival node? Forget it. I, maybe there's two in the world of those. They've given up. They've insisted on protocol-level amnesia, choice after choice after choice after choice. That chain is doomed. Are there any infrastructure or marketplace products being developed on or for ordinals that you're aware of? Yeah, many, many, many. I believe that there are a ton. I think Orem or or Yumtov is working on um, a... Pretty sophisticated PSBT sort of trustless thing. Um, I don't want to see the next OpenSea because OpenSea is quite bad um, technically and at this point socially. So um, yeah, I want to see something Bitcoin-y. I want to see something trustless, um, which I think we'll get soon. So, okay, closing out the conversation, what's sort of the game plan? What are you, you, know, what, what are you going to try to execute on for the next six months that we should be anticipating? Have fun and stay weird and out-execute the things that I, soon we, maybe, I don't know, can. Um, they are not in a good spot. We can deliver things that they can't, and we can, uh, you know, do our best. And where can we learn more about what you're working on? 
Um, thank you, my friend. At ordinals.com, you can visit the website, but um, you can go to ordinals.com and you can see a website that anybody can run. And in fact, that episode of hellpodcast.money or at hellpodcast.money, you can see how to run that website yourself on your own computer with a fresh MacBook from the Apple Store or your beater that you have at home, although I guess it needs 16 gigs of RAM and terabyte of space, ideally, although that's getting cheaper and cheaper these days. Um, that would be my suggestion is go to wherever fine podcasts are sold or purveyed, search for uh, Hell Money Podcast, and then you can see me and Aaron setting up a fresh Bitcoin node, and then you can inscribe. I can't wait to tune in. Thanks so much, Casey, for joining us on the show. Appreciate you taking the time and walking us through a topic that I think is top of mind for most people in crypto right now. It keeps cropping up again and again, not just on the show, but also across conversations that we're having here at the block. Again, thank you so much. And Tim, appreciate you taking the time as well. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.